I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. All right, uh, we're going to get into the Bugman talk in a bit, but we do have to uh, start on a bit of a sour note. Uh, Kiki, do you want to do you want to go into it? Yeah, um, since our last recording, it uh, is the unfortunate news that Stephen Sondheim, the legendary musical theater composer, uh, has passed away. He was 91 years old, apparently died in his home in Connecticut, uh, right right around Thanksgiving, November 26th. I don't know. It, it was so weird when the news broke because I was on Twitter. It was, you know, day after Thanksgiving when the news broke. And my Twitter feed went from people talking about leftovers and whether or not you should participate in Black Friday sales to lyrics and Bernadette Peters concert videos within seconds. It was like being hit by a grief tsunami. You know, as a musical theater fan myself, it hurts that he's, you know, he's a, this man is a legend. Like West Side Story, Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd. Those three shows alone make him a legend, and he wrote dozens more. Funny thing happened on the way to Forum, Company, Gypsy. Sunday in the Park with George, yeah. Yeah, Sunday in the Park with George. Um, as we are recording this, we are about little over 24 hours removed from every Broadway performer in New York with Lin-Manuel Miranda collectively coming together in New York City to sing the song Sunday in his honor. Yeah, that was an amazing performance. Look it up if you haven't seen it. And, you know, interestingly, the the subject of, of our kind of film today, you know, a- Andrew Garfield had just finished... Yeah, his most recent movie as we record this is Tick, Tick, Boom, where he portrayed Jonathan Larson. Massive part of that movie is what an influence Stephen Sondheim was on Jonathan Larson. Mm -hmm. And there's even a portrayal of Stephen Sondheim in there, uh, portrayed by Bradley Whitford. Sondheim was the sort of guy who would just go to a preview show for a musical by an unknown kid and just sit in the back row and listen just to see if this kid was any good. And when that movie came out, you know, a lot of people watching that movie would kind of post on social media going like, well, you can tell this is a a fantasy or whatever because there's a part where like Stephen freaking Sondheim just shows up in the back row and sits and watches this nobody. Everybody in the theater community who actually knew Stephen Sondheim, who was still alive, you know, in in that moment, was like, no, you don't understand. Steve is like this. 
he he does this 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 is what he does and has done for decades is this the is this the next talent is this the next thing is this somebody that deserves a shot Lin-Manuel Miranda posted the last email he ever got from Stephen Sondheim he had sent him an email when Tick Tick Boom premiered on on Netflix and said oh, your ears must be burning because, you know, people are saying such nice things about you and how many people in the theater you've helped. And Sondheim sent back and said, well, it's very nice that people are saying that, but I feel it's only my duty. It's what I owe Oscar, meaning Oscar Hammerstein, who was his own mentor and helped him when he was a kid. Yeah, and uh, as we're recording this, we're just... Just over a week or so away from the new West Side Story from 20th Century Fox coming out, the Spielberg version. Yeah. And uh, Disney did wait. do the yeah Disney <laughs> did do their own version of Into the Woods, regardless of the changes that Disney made for their brand. You know, it, it did get some positive. You know. There are things I like in that film. Yeah. I I wouldn't say it's my favorite version of Into the Woods. However, I would suggest that if you're a fan of musicals, give it a shot. Um, there are definitely things to recommend it. And I did like uh, that 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 filmed version of uh, Sweeney Todd with uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah, I I did I did like not it. Disney, but you know. I would uh, definitely uh, recommend other versions uh, over it, but uh, true, it's true. a good accessible version if you've never seen. Sweeney Todd, and you want to know what it's about, I think that that's a good accessible version. But yeah, the the point being that uh, I I don't think we shall see his like again in our lifetime. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's move on and talk about a bug man. Before we get really into it, I want to say I kind of feel bad for Andrew Garfield because he does these interviews and all he wants to do is talk about tick tick boom but everyone keeps asking him about spider-man it's got to be infuriating yeah and there is a sense that uh you know i mean let's let's kind of get into the the weeds here with this one at least one person in this movie is going to be in the in far from home I mean, that's the reason why we're we're doing these films is that at least something from the films we're talking about are going to end up in, in the new film. And if you've been watching the TV commercials for Far From Home, they have shown a little bit more of the lizard than the original trailer did. So that, That's true. We left off last week with the first of the, the Tobey Maguire, you know, Sam Raimi films. Uh, we didn't talk about the, the sequels in depth, but when it got to the third, boy, was that a stinker. And that was honestly too many cooks in the kitchen because you had Marvel, yes, Marvel themselves saying, put Venom in the movie. And then you had Sony themselves saying, uh, are you going to finish this Harry Osborn Goblin story? And then you had Raimi himself saying, you know, I really want to use the Sandman in a movie. Yeah, and Sandman, another one that might be in the in the film. Yeah, in the well, film. We know that the Lizard is going to be in the movie, but we don't know that Rise Eiffens is going to actually be 
outperforming him in any capacity. I mean, Reese Evans has, has, I, I do believe, been confirmed. We're not going to really know until December 17th. And by that time, this podcast is already out. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, stupid MCU and their freaking spoilers. Uh, after Spider-Man 3 didn't, it made money, but it wasn't as critically acclaimed as the other two. Salt the Earth, let's start over. Raimi gone, Maguire gone, Peter back in high school, let's start all over again with 2012's The Amazing Spider-Man. 2012 was a big year for superhero movies because you had The Dark Knight Rises, and you also had the first Avengers movie. And that is a one, two, three punch right there. Avengers, Spider-Man, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, it's so weird to think, like, the MCU is already that far in, and this is where we're at in the spider-man saga yeah and this speaking of cinematic universes this was supposed to start a spider-man cinematic universe because sony was seeing what marvel was doing and wanted some of that since they had the rights to the spider-man characters we can do a bunch of movies based off these characters this actually wouldn't really be known until late 2014 when the infamous sony email link happened leak happened so there was plans for amazing three there was plans for sinister six venom craven possibility of a spider gwen movie spider-man 2099 and i don't understand how they even tried to do this a movie about aunt may yeah um i mean i i think there was some hints at a um a morbius at the time and they're still trying to do this. We're, we just got the second Venom movie. In January, we're getting this Morbius movie. They're yeah, still finally. Trying to, yeah. Sony is still trying to make this cinematic universe happen. And finally, after all of these years, they're finally getting this Sinister Six together that they've been trying to do since 2014. This Spider-Man almost became the MCU Spider-Man. As I said, the first Avengers movie came out in 2012. Uh, Marvel and Sony were working together to try to get the Oscorp building in the New York skyline for the first Avengers movie. Unfortunately, they could not get a deal solidified in time. But by the time they solidified this deal, they made the agreement. Uh, the visual effects team was kind of already done with the New York skyline. And in those 2014 emails, that was already there was already discussions between Marvel and Sony to bring Spider-Man into the MCU. There was already plans when Amazing Spider-Man 2 was in production to bring Spider-Man in for, at the time, only known as Captain America 3. And we know what happened in that one. We know that Spider-Man made his MCU debut in that film. In the multiverse, there is an alternate universe where that was Andrew Garfield. That was not Tom Holland. You know, you want to talk about feeling bad for Andrew Garfield. He has spoken since then about that kind of absolute gut punch it was to kind of just wake up and discover that he'd been recast. One of the things about Andrew Garfield getting cast in Amazing Spider-Man is 
you know, when Tobey Maguire got the part, he was kind of just an actor who got a part. Andrew Garfield was a fanboy who got a dream role. There's the kind of, like, famous moments in the MCU and everybody kind of either loves or hates the kind of infamous moment from around this same time of, like, Tom Hiddleston showing up at at Comic-Con in the Loki (laughs) costume and, like, being Loki at Comic-Con. When Andrew Garfield got the the part as Spider-Man, there's a kind of equally infamous but less flashy moment where he showed up in Hall H in a Spider-Man costume. I've always wanted to be at Comic-Con in Hall H as Spider-Man with all of you guys has always been a dream of mine. All right. So thanks for having me. (laughs) I just want to say a couple of things. I'm Andrew Garfield, and I'm going to be here introducing this amazing Spider-Man panel. Stan Lee says that the reason why Spidey is so popular is because all of us can relate to him, and I agree. I needed Spidey in my life when I was a kid, and he gave me hope. In every comic I read, he was living out mine and every skinny boy's fantasy of being stronger of being free of the body I was born into and that swinging sensation of flight. And upon receiving his power, unlike most who who become corrupted, he used it for good. And I think we all wish that we had the courage to to stick up for ourselves more, to, to stick up for a loved one more, or even a stranger you see being mistreated. And Peter Parker has inspired me to feel stronger. He made me, Andrew, braver. He reassured me that by doing the right thing, it's worth it. It's worth the struggle. It's worth the pain. It's worth even the tears, the bruises, and the blood. And I, and I, I wouldn't be able to stand here in front of you guys right now without feeling that Spider-Man was here with me with his reassuring hand on my shoulder, making sure I don't fall over and concuss myself. <laughs> if you've never seen that moment, it will make you cry. Uh, equally heartbreaking is how he got fired. Because there was this Sony event not long after Amazing 2 had come out. Uh, the head of Sony was going to be there, and they were going. To, they had this whole big event. And part of this event was going to announce the Amazing Spider-Man 3. They had had uh, Andrew Garfield fly out for this event. And he had gotten sick on the flight. So he was in his he'll uh this is the story that he says. He's gotten he went into the hotel room, he is puking his guts out, he is in no condition to make a public appearance. You know, he doesn't want to embarrass himself, he doesn't want to embarrass Sony. Uh the head of Sony found out was not happy about this. He says we set up this entire event just for him and he decides to no show. And that's how Andrew Garfield got fired from playing Spider Man. Not cool. I mean, no, definitely not cool. Not cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of why in more some recent interviews kind of been uh, pooping on Sony. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say, you know, uh, d- the reason we're doing this whole series is, of course, you know, the will they won't they of of multiple Spider-Mans in No Way Home. But the the kind of thing is you have the feeling that Andrew Garfield kind of got a note from Sony in the past couple of weeks that said, uh, Dear Andrew, your job is to go out as you're promoting other things 
and convince the public that you are in no way uh, appearing in No Way Home, which as of this recording, we still don't know. And Andrew Garfield apparently read this memo and went, oh, so accused Sony of being dicks and refusing to make Spider-Man bisexual. Got it. All right. This is going to be fun. Because <laughs> some of those interviews are straight up fire and I love it. It's been an interesting and uh, rather unfortunate role for Andrew Garfield. Um, Let him just talk about his musical movie. Don't bother him with Spider-Man stuff. Well, in a way, I do kind of hope he does finally get to come back. I'm not as interested in seeing Toby back. I know a lot of people are. I would not mind an Andrew Garfield return. I feel like Sony owes him <laughs> in a way. They like, owe him one at least, you know. Like everybody gets one, uh, and uh, Andrew Garfield deserves his one. Okay. Uh, as long as he's wearing the Amazing Two outfit, because I love that outfit. That's a good outfit. Um, yeah, but. Let's let's kind of talk talk about that. We talked about um the casting. He was up against a lot of other people in the casting for this. There was a rather incredible shortlist for this film. Apparently, the late great Anton Yelchin, one of the people who was rumored on the shortlist at the time, and the, that would be around the time of the Star Trek re- reboot series. Yeah, it would have. Interestingly, on the short list was Jamie Bell, who had been Billy Elliot in the film, which is kind of interesting because Billy Elliot was a role that also got Tom Holland to start. Yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting short list, but uh, Andrew Garfield won out. I had seen him before in Doctor Who. Yeah. Also playing a New Yorker, a, a Brit playing a New Yorker. Uh, yeah, which I I guess interesting. Two of our film, two of our movie Peter Parkers are Brits. And they're the, the better two, in my opinion, in the role. So I don't know, maybe just Peter Parker always need to be. Although Andrew Garfield's father, I believe, is is American. The kind of big thing that he had been in was the social network the movie about facebook and the funny thing about that to me is when i was doing research for this he played the one of the co-founder guys of facebook guy named eduardo Saverin. but initially he was supposed to play mark zuckerberg they got to the part of like him auditioning and testing and and all that for zuckerberg but the director thing was like um the problem was, is that Andrew Garfield just can't help but be, like, human and empathetic, which Mark Zuckerberg is not. <laughs> so we we gave him the role of the, the guy who was, you know, more human and empathetic, and we got Jesse Eisenberg to come in and play the robotic dude who has no emotions. But yeah, and then, of course, Spider-Man is the, the point where kind of everybody everybody knew his name tick tick boom is really good uh if you if you haven't seen it dude's got a voice and then of course we got we got our our love interest for the movie we've switched over to gwen stacy for this series so we bring in emma stone 
uh, who was already known by that point. She had already been doing the Zombieland movies. Yeah. Also with Jesse Eisenberg. I guess just everybody in this cast just worked with Jesse Eisenberg before moving on to Spider-Man. And of course so, the Disney connection is she is Cruella now. She is Cruella now. And I have said before, I rather like that movie and uh, look forward to her continuing it. So I rather like her as Gwen Stacy. So, you know. And of course it, it doesn't hurt that Garfield and Emma Stone were dating at the time. So the chemistry really does come off on screen with those two. Yeah. I, I mean, it, re- it works really well. The villain, of course, now, uh, as we kind of mentioned earlier, is uh, the lizard. Although he does work for Norman Osborn, um, Oscorp is still the overarching villain. We get Kurt Connors, who was name-checked all the way back in the first uh, of the Tobey Maguire movies. But now we really get him in kind of his full lizard glory. Um, and he's portrayed by Reese Ephens, um, who people will also remember as Xenophilius Lovegood from the Harry Potter series. But of course, you know, if you're a fan of British films, you'll remember him for, you know, Notting Hill and, you know, tons of other stuff. Uh, we do have a, a couple of uh, big names rounding out some of the other characters in the, the cast that, you know, it's legends, so we're not really going to get into them. We got Dennis Leary playing George Stacy, Gwen Stacy's father, who is a police captain. So Dennis Leary, of course, comedian, actor, legend. The Disney connection because he was in Bugs Life. Yeah, we talked about him more in in Bugs Life. We have to do the death of Uncle Ben again. Uh, But this time he's portrayed by Martin Sheen. Uh, We last name-checked Martin Sheen, I believe, when we did Mighty Ducks and talked about his son Emilio Estevez. A very different Ben Parker than Cliff Robertson had been. Cliff Robertson was more grandfatherly. This one is like straight up fatherly. You know, he's like yeah, the, or the, or or cool cool uncle. Like I'm his parole officer. He has pictures of you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, sometimes Uncle Ben gets a little creepy. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but uh, he was trying to embarrass him, and that was that's that, that's definitely a a fatherly thing. <laughs> Well, there's embarrassing, and there's maybe you're crossing a line, Ben. Step back. Then, of course, uh, Aunt May is starting the trend now from ancient to... I'm thinking I'm having inappropriate feelings for Aunt May, uh, as this time she's portrayed by Sally Field. And how do you not like a Sally Field, you know? Yeah, Sally feels amazing, and, and and as you said, you know, our last Aunt May was in her was 70 when she played Aunt May. Sally Field, 60, and when we get to Marissa Tomei in her 50s, in the next reboot, she'll be in her 40s, and, you know, we'll go from there. Eventually, we will be older than Aunt May, and yeah. the, then we will just curl up and turn to dust, and it will be fine. Oh, man, it, how, where do you even start with Sally Field? She is just amazing on the in this that's just uncle ben and aunt and aunt may in this movie they make that transition from the traditional grandfather grandmother presentation of the original characters to 
a more mother father figures. Like yeah. Nate definitely acts more like a mother to Peter than the grandmother or even the aunt. Yeah, one of my favorite lines from the second movie is, "You're my boy." Yeah, I was going to say, they get into it very explicitly in the second film that, like, other people may have birthed you, but we are your parents. Which I like that this film series never denies. Peter had biological parents, but Ben and Mae Parker were his actual parents day to day unlike the first series the the toby mcguire series which is just kind of peter ended up here and we don't always explore how or why we start this film series off with how did peter end up with ben and may yeah that goes into the what was supposed to be the overarching storyline of the first amazing spider-man trilogy was what happened to Peter Parker's parents. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> but yeah, we we even open with a flashback of very young Peter Parker on the day that his parents disappeared. They just rather unceremoniously drop him off with Ben and May. And I guess to Peter... It seems like, oh, I'm just going to stay with my uncle and aunt for a minute. And then suddenly it's like... Yeah, 10 years later. It does start that obsession of Peter. What happened to mom and dad? Why did they leave me here? Where did they go? And that's never really been a part of the comics. Yeah, they explored who, who, who Richard and Mary Parker were. And in the comics, they were agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., can't use that in this one because uh, that's, you know, Marvel kind of has a hold on that. Yeah, that so they, was already part of the MCU by this point. Yeah. Um, so we've got to come up with another reason. So they make them people who worked at Oscorp. Everything is connected to Oscorp. I uh, do kind of like the tightness of that as a storytelling device. Of Oscorp is the bad guy. The evil corporation, yeah. You know, they were doing all of these genetic experiments involving animals because Norman Osborn has a rare disease and he is dying. And that's kind of the point of uh, Connor's uh, studies, his experiments. His He wants to be able to regrow his missing arm. And he wants to use that not only for himself, but for the world, you know. People have had amputations or losses, whether it's due to health or if you're in the military and you have an accident. The interesting thing is, is that Peter does find the, his father has left the briefcase on the same night that they left Peter and starts poking around and discovers that, oh, this guy, Kurt Connors, worked with my dad they were doing experiments he finds some papers that talk about mixing you know splicing animal genes including spider genes so like in the mcguire trilogy we are back to genetic manipulation of spiders as our MacGuffin here to get the powers which is fine Which is fine. I mean, you know, I said it last week. I don't mind genetic manipulation being the new MacGuffin. 
because that's where we are now. Peter sneaks off into Oscorp to go meet Kurt Connors. You know, I feel sorry steals. for that one kid who had their yeah. whose pass he swiped. All he wanted to do was become an intern at Oscorp. His dream shattered because of Peter Parker. Yeah, but that kid probably survived the movie because of that. Like, think of all the damage that goes down at Oscorp over the, you know, like you lucked out by not getting a job at Evil Co. Like, yeah. congratulations, you get to survive, kid. I know that right now you think that that was the worst day of your life, but you just got to live. <laughs> like, And it's a nice moment because you kind of get with, I mean, we've met Gwen earlier in the film. And Gwen is like, are you following me? <laughs> because Gwen is somehow a upper level intern at Oscorp. And still high school student and still a high school student it's never explained that's kind of the one thing that i'm like what what by default of knowing peter she doesn't immediately rat him out and get him thrown out of the building so it allows him to kind of snoop around a little bit and find the secret spider lab that allows him to get bitten the weird thing is is that they have this entire just like open air wander in among the spiders lab which seems very dangerous especially seeing later in the sequel movie what the same spider venom does to harry osborne but he accidentally brushes up against the web of the spiders and it triggers just like an avalanche of spiders so it's not just one spider, it's many spiders. Which also seems like a dangerous thing. Like, the janitor just walks in to tidy up the spider lab and just, like, spider avalanche doesn't seem particularly good science, you guys. Like, there's bad lab safety all around. All and I'm we saying. also get our big MacGuffin for the end of the film is this machine that can supposedly spread medicine, but it's shut down because of ethical things. Because you can't force someone to take life-saving medicine. Yeah. Boy, wouldn't that be nice right now. Peter somehow successfully gets all these spiders off of him without being bitten and makes it out of the lab without being seen. And but then he gets bitten. <laughs> one spider has somehow hitched a ride and he gets bitten and, you know, ow. The thing is, is that the transformation is almost immediate. Which does reference the comics. As soon as he got bitten in the comics, he almost gets hit by a car. He jumps on the wall and he's instantly sticking to it. Yeah, and they do a very similar idea that by the time he gets, you know, to the subway... He's already kind of sweating. He's feeling weird. He falls asleep on the subway. Some dude decides to screw around with him, which, you know, ain't that New York for you, you know? Yeah. But, like, some dude just decides to mess with him. His spider sense goes off. He freaks out. He ends up sticking to the ceiling. He ends up sticking to a woman's shirt. I could have maybe done without that part. But, you know, he ends up sticking to one of the poles in the center of the subway, and then it ends up becoming a weapon, and, you know. It's very much a Jackie Chan-style oops fight, if you know what I'm talking about. I love those, and this is a very good example of one. I thought this was really well done, because Peter kind of stumbles his way through the fight 
and does not understand what's going on. And it's a great set, except for maybe the bit where the woman's shirt gets ripped off, which I could have done without. Everything else is like very much Peter is out of his element. He is terrified. He just wants to go home and all these people are messing with him. He's trying to get away from them and his hand's stuck to the pole. So he's trying to swing it around. He ends up knocking everybody over and it's just, he didn't intend to, you know, hurt anybody. He's just, yeah, he's supposed to go home. And he's very discombobulated. He's sweating profusely. He's doesn't know why he keeps getting these flashes. The spider sense is done very well. I a think. spider catching a fly. Literally, a spider catching a fly. I did want him to have like a bit of a Renfield moment and eat it. <laughs> I do like the the bit because he gets he gets home and you know Ben and May are like you know what's going on with you and everything and he catches the fly like right in front of May's face and and she's like it's just a fly Peter you know what what's going on and everything and then immediately he goes I'm very hungry and I was like well you should have eaten the fly dude uh, <laughs> the, 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 I, there there was a kind of bit where I'm like oh, oh god he's got the proportional appetite of a spider cuz he just starts you know grabbing everything out of out of the fridge it's like it's, is this your meatloaf this is the best meatloaf and ben's like that's impossible nobody likes your meatloaf <laughs> that actually is a funny joke and that is definitely a merit's joke it's like why didn't you tell me you didn't like my meatloaf 30 years and you never tell you you know that's an old married couple joke and i love it my father always told me that when right before he got married his grandfather sat him down and said Boy, the secret to a long and happy marriage is whatever your wife puts in front of you, you eat it and you ask for seconds. And my father said, is that the only secret to marriage? And he said, probably not, but it's the most important one. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life. (laughs) So I guess Ben Parker got that same talk from some some man in his family. I kind of like this transformation sequence because it doesn't really focus so much on the visual physical aspects as the idea that Peter feels very out of place with whatever's going on with his body. Yeah, especially the next day where he can't control his strength. He breaks the faucet handle, he breaks his alarm clock, very, very gently trying to open the bathroom door and leave. (laughs) Yeah, I do like that once he starts to figure out that he's a little bit of power now we do get that scene where he stands up to flash but i do like that he stands up to flash in defense of somebody else that's the difference i think between this scene and the scene in the previous film the lunch scene yeah in the basketball scene flash had been picking on somebody else it, yeah, I mean, early, even earlier in the film, before he gets spider powers, just Flash is bullying a kid for over the lunch. And he, yeah, he got his butt kicked for it. But it shows that even in the beginning, Peter has a sense of right and wrong. Like, this is wrong. I'm going to stop it. And it's not just that Peter is taking revenge on his personal bully. He's taking revenge on the school bully, the one that bullies everybody. And that he was willing to do it even before he had powers. I do like that we see the 
building blocks of Peter's character pretty early in this film. That even before he gets powers, he's already standing up for others, even at cost to himself. And then he shows, you know, showing off with the basketball. He shows off with the basketball. And I like that the thing that Uncle Ben takes issue with in that scene was not that Peter stood up to the bully. Not that Peter got in a fight, but that he humiliated Flash during it. You could have taught Flash a lesson. You could have stood up for the other kid. You could have, you know, punched him right in the nose. But you humiliated. And that's what Ben took issue with. The thing that I really find interesting is there has been for a while that the difference between Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in how they portray Peter Parker is that Tobey Maguire was a really believable Peter Parker. He was, you could absolutely believe that Tobey Maguire was the type of dude who, if you walked down a school hall, you would dump that kid's books. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I heard once some, someone once said that he had a very punchable face, which made him a perfect Peter Parker. Yeah, it's like you can absolutely believe that, like, if you're walking down a hall, you want to trip that kid, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's just... Andrew Garfield, on the other hand, is a slightly less believable Peter Parker because you see that kid walking down the hallway and you're skateboarding like skateboarding down the hallway. Yeah, skateboarding down the hallway. You're gonna be like, he's kind of cool kid. Yeah, I, the, I would sit big, next to him at lunch. That was the big question. He was he was too he was too cool to be Peter Parker. I've what? also heard people say he was too good looking to play Peter Parker because Andrew Garfield's not an ugly dude. He's a good looking dude. Yeah, he's he's a he's a bit of a snack as Peter Parker. <laughs> like, <laughs> but this Peter Parker is very punk, you know? He's got the skateboard right after Uncle Ben's death, which we'll get to in a bit. Like he goes around New York just like beating dudes while wearing a Ramones t-shirt, which is like that's a look, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying, like, he doesn't have the the kind of science vibe, but, like, his room is Einstein posters and Johnny Cash. But in the second movie, he's got one of my favorite Bowie posters, like, over his bed and everything. It's like, that's a dude you can hang out with, you know? He's not so much a nerd as he's just antisocial. Yeah, he's a little bit more antisocial music geek. Than he is like the nerd in the back of the science. Some have said that he had a little bit of uh, nervousness in talking to some of the girls because you know earlier in the film one of the girls say, "Oh yeah, you're you're Peter. You're take you take pictures. I really like your pictures. Are you doing anything?" And he kind of nervously nods, and people are saying, "Oh, that's a little social anxiety." The thing is, is that some of these traits are just kind of they brought a bit of just stuff Andrew Garfield could already do into it. Like, apparently he was just kind of that kind of kid. Like, I've seen him in interviews talking about being a skateboarder and stuff. So a lot of that stuff where he's just kind of tricking around the thing, it's just apparently just him. But the interesting thing is the other thing they said was that by 2012, that traditional... 60s idea of what a nerd is that's not the vibe anymore the director was like 
the feeling is that nerds rule the world now. He was like, that was Andrew's last movie. You know, Social Network is all about, like, that kind of dude just runs things at this point. Now everyone's a comic book nerd because of the MCU. Yeah, and MCU had hit big, so now everybody's kind of a comic book nerd. So it's like they wanted a different way to make Peter Parker feel like an outcast. And so it's like, well, how do you feel like an outcast? Well, you give him a little bit more of the anti-social skater boy stares at everybody through a camera lens kind of vibe, which does work. But at the same time, also makes him kind of really cool and attractive and the Dude, you kind of want to, like... Before you finish your thought there, I know where you're going. I'm just going to say that Gwen is into Peter the minute she sees him. Yeah, Gwen is already DTF by the time Peter walks into the room. Like, this is not a difficult sell, you know? (laughs) After the the basketball incident, again, a little bit of the social awkwardness appears like, do you want to, um, or do you want to, um... And she's like, oh, yeah, let's do both of those things. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, whatever. Sure. Down down for it. <laughs> you don't even finish the sentence. Whatever comes next. Yeah, okay. The point of these kind of dichotomies in comics is that you're supposed to have the kind of Clark Kent is the dork you don't notice working next to you every day and Superman is the dude you want to get with, right? That's 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 the thing. It's supposed to be like Peter Parker is the nerd in your science class and Superman is the cool wisecracking dude who saves your life. Like that's the point. But Peter Parker is it, supposed to be a loser. I hate saying that about him, but it's true. Part of what makes that character work is that he's a loser. You know, it it works a l- a little bit less well when it's like here's your loser guy portrayed by Andrew Garfield it doesn't really work <laughs> it's like, like even with the even with the glasses on I'm sorry but that only helps things as someone who is attracted to men I'm gonna tell you good you take a hot guy and you put glasses on him that that only makes things better like it's slightly less believable on the Peter Parker end, but uh, things do improve once you get to the Spider-Man end, which I'm going to say, if I have a beef with this movie, it is that it takes too freaking long to get to the Spider-Man part of this movie. We're almost an hour in before we actually see him in costume as Spider-Man. It is uh, almost interminable time before we actually get to the actual Spider-Manning. I appreciate Spider-Man. I appreciate the practice montage scene where he's setting up these chains to swing on them. I just love that this Spider-Man gets his practice on to like really gentle folk rock. It's a very chill kind of vibe. We talked about with Tobey Maguire how he's not really a, a body actor. Like, When he got the part, he was very traditional drama school. So a lot of his stuff was in his face and his voice. Andrew Garfield had been like a gymnast and a swimmer and a skateboarder. And he was a very physical guy. They worked a lot of that into the movie. And you can see it in the practice scene. Like he does a lot of like gymnastic stuff in the early practice scene. Apparently he did a lot of flexibility training. 
because he wanted to be able to move both as Peter before he gets the powers, but also especially after he puts on the suit. He wanted to be able to move as flexibly as possible. Uh, And he knew he was going to have the mask on, so he knew he wasn't going to be able to rely on his face. And bravo to him because it comes across a lot better. This is a very expressive performance. And much better quips than what was given to uh, Tobey Maguire. Oh my goodness, the one-liners in this. When I first saw this movie in the theater and he starts throwing off those one-liners in the suit. We're kind of skipping over the death of Uncle Ben because, ugh, you know. This one, I do kind of like it because it fits the antisocial thing. Let's just talk about death of Uncle Ben real quick. In this film, the death of Ben Parker is made so very pointless i mean it really drives home the absolute pointlessness of the violence which i like because he is basically killed over two pennies so yeah so peter goes to a little market tries to buy a bottle of milk he's two cents short and then the robber comes in knocks some stuff over takes money out of the cash register throws the bottle of milk at peter and they both walk off uncle Ben, he tried to stop the robbery and he lost his life over it. And I don't know how much money that guy got. A couple of hundred dollars, a couple of thousand dollars. It's not worth Uncle Ben's life, no matter how much. And like, yeah, it's wrong to steal. It wasn't worth Uncle Ben's life. I like the pointlessness of his death. No amount of property is worth a human life. Yeah, and all of this leads to Peter going on his own little vengeance run trying to take down any criminal that vaguely resembles the killer. Captain Stacy says he kind of accidentally ends up cleaning up a lot of criminals off the streets. Some of them have incredibly violent rap sheets. But at the same time, as Captain Stacy says, he's always taken out the same kind of person. If he had kept on just doing that, eventually they would have figured it out. I will say that I love the aesthetics of this scene because, like I said, it's just him in kind of like a hoodie and a Ramon shirt just wailing on dudes. Um, and then he falls through a gym and falls into a wrestling ring. Which, a nice callback. One of the cool things that I like about this Spider-Man is that while I don't need, as previously discussed, the extreme scientific explanation for how all his you know superpowers work i do like little nods to how he got his ideas for various parts of the things that he can control i like that he sees the luchador mask and goes i need a costume okay i'm gonna you know research this online unfortunately he uses bing which is probably the most loser thing about (laughs) peter parker i do like the creation of the spider-man costume in this movie because it gives you a reasonable explanation how how young kid could create the spider-man suit from average materials anyone can buy this is how cosplayers work you go you research stuff online i mean especially in 2012 i love him building the web shooters. I love the design of the web shooters in this. A little wristwatch. He steals the uh, bio cable cartridges from Oscorp. And I love him like basically looking up YouTube tutorials for how to build stuff. Just these short snippets of him evolving and researching these little things. 
it lets you know that his brain is working, which makes me kind of feel for the character. Once he gets in the suit and starts the quipping, once he comes across the carjacker and the guy gets in the car and he's already in the car and he's just like, can you not dress like a carjacker? You know, are you a cop? Uh, Do I look like a cop? The uh, bit where he's like, yeah, going out the window. Yeah, go out the window. Just like, go on. You can, you can make it. Good. Good job. You know? Again, Andrew Garfield was, it's, for lack of a better term, an amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> he is so good at spider-man that's that's the thing is when the movies came out and people started comparing the two that was the thing toby mcguire really good at peter parker not so good at spider-man andrew garfield less believable peter parker really good at spider-man i like the way that when in that first scene when the cop comes up and he's like absolutely annoyed that the cop considers him a threat. Yeah, I, I just arrested the bad guy. The bad guy's right there. I just did your job. It's a good setup scene for how Peter is kind of settling into this role. It goes more into that Spider-Man is a vigilante. Even though he's arresting criminals, he's still breaking the law himself by being a vigilante, and they do want to bring him in. And I like that this film sets up that you don't need a PR campaign to set up that dichotomy. You see that the public is very, yeah, Spider-Man, and the cops are very squish that bug. As Peter is kind of settling into this, there's also the Gwen Stacy subplot. And Aunt May finding out that her nephew is going out into out in the night and coming home with bruises on his face. And of course, she's very worried about the normal things you'd be worried about as a parent. Is this a drug thing? Is this a gang thing? Is this, you know, I've just lost my husband. Am I about to lose my child? Sally Field plays it so well. The Gwen, the Gwen Stacy subplot, on the other hand, is very adorable. You know, teenage boy Peter Parker climbing up or, uh, excuse me, falling down from the roof onto uh, Gwen's uh, fire escape exit there. And it's like... Him bringing the flowers that are now crushed from the fall. (laughs) And trying to convince her that he climbed up like 22 stories or something like that, whatever she says it is. We'll come back to this in a minute because we got to get to Dr. Connors again. Uh, Successfully finished the lizard formula, to which Oscorp says, we own this now, you're fired. Yeah, and they're just going to go unethically, of course, distribute it to a ward full of veterans in the veteran hospital, telling them that it's a flu shot. Because Norman Osborn is dying and does not want to wait, and he wants his cure for his mysterious disease now. Since uh, Dr. Connors is basically being fired in the morning, he decides he's just going to inject himself now in the hopes of regrowing his missing limb. Does that in a blink and you literally miss it because I blunk and I literally missed it. Uh, On the car ride there, he starts developing scales and claws and suffers a transformation inside cab on a bridge. Um, But while all that is going on, Peter is over on his very awkward date at the Stacy residence. They get into a bit of an argument. Of, over Spider-Man, yeah. Uh, uh, over Spider-Man, of Captain Stacy saying he's a vigilante and we need to take him down. 
and Peter saying, I think he's just trying to help. And Captain Stacy very rightly at this point points out that most of the people Spider-Man has been taking down at this point are a personal vendetta. They all have the same physical traits. Yeah, he is very definitely looking for somebody he has a personal vendetta against. It's, you know, the guy who killed Ben Parker, even though he doesn't know that. And Peter actually does stop and consider this. Like, oh, yeah, you're you're right. That that's exactly what I've been doing. Oops. And he very publicly apologizes. Yeah. And during dinner, he said, I didn't mean to ruin dinner. I apologize, you know. And, you know, him and Gwen go out to the balcony to kind of get some air to kind of, you know, give some space to, to Captain Stacy. And uh, again, this is where the social anxiety comes in from Peter. He's trying to tell Gwen something. He's trying to tell Gwen something. And Gwen is trying to say, you know, what are you trying to tell me? I don't have time for this. And then he just whips a, a web at her and brings her in for a kiss. And he goes, you're, you're, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. And she says this later in the film that, you know, her dad's a cop. So every day she sees her dad put on that uniform, put on that badge, and wonders if her dad's going to come home that night. Now she has that same thing about her boyfriend, who he's going to put on his costume every night, go out, and she's going to wonder if he's going to come back home. Her mom kind of interrupts them. Her mom says, you know, your dad wants you inside right now. And right then we kind of see why which is that something is happening on the bridge. This is the scene where Peter really becomes Spider-Man. He goes from personal vendetta of the killer of his uncle to the city's hero. Kirk Connors has fully transformed into the lizard in this scene for the first time and doesn't know how to control it and is causing just Godzilla-like destruction in his wake at the moment as he's throwing cars which peter is catching with webbing and attaching to the bridge at least one of the cars is not empty there is a kid who was still strapped into his car seat the father is desperately screaming you know save my son and this is because this is the most human scene in this whole movie with peter as spider-man he goes down there he gets to the kid the kid is scared out of his mind Especially here's this dude in a mask trying to grab you and he just takes his mask off, which other spider men would probably not do this. But to get the kids trust, he just says, I'm just a regular guy. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to get you out of here and get you back to your dad. And he does one of my favorite things, which is that he gives him the mask and he says, put it on. It'll make you strong. I love that line him kind of convincing the kid that there's something special about the mask, you know, car starts falling. He's able to grab the kid again with his weapon and save. I mean, it's a tense scene and it plays so well. This is a very well-directed scene. It's a good action scene, a good tension builder. And I, I, I love, you know, you know, the dad gets the kid back and he says, who are you? And then he, it's not even a confident voice. It's a realization type of voice. He looks at him and says, I'm, I'm Spider-Man. You and know, I think that's the first time he uses the, 
the name, yeah. The name for himself, you know, like, okay, that's that's who I'm gonna be. He kind of builds this trap, I guess, to try to get pictures of the lizard so that he can prove what's going on. There is an interesting moment where he is ambushed by the lizard without his spider sense warning him. I've seen and heard people kind of question this, like, well, should this spider sense have warned him? However, there is a through line in the comics that Peter's spider sense does not work for people who he considers friends. Like, Aunt May has attacked Spider-Man not knowing who he is. Um, that she, like, accidentally finds Spider-Man in her house and, like, clocks him with something. <laughs> and his spider sense doesn't go off because Aunt May is not a threat. But at this point, he has never fought Kurt Connors. He is there not looking for an enemy. He is there looking for a friend he thinks is in trouble. Even if it's technically dangerous, it's not the way his spider sense works. It's not going to tweak on a friend, you know? Yeah. Um, so it makes sense to me, and I do not consider it like, oh, that's a plot hole or whatever. Um, I, I, Peter, you're underwater. That webbing is not going to work. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it doesn't end up very going very well for 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 spider-man in this situation yeah and peter peter don't put your name on everything you have a secret identity um maybe stop monogramming everything um and putting your name on things uh it used to work but now maybe not because secret identity yeah the lizard ends up taking possession of the camera and sees the property of Peter Parker on the back and it's like, oh, okay. And just shows up, shows up at his high school to uh, start some stuff. This scene has possibly one of my favorite Stan Lee cameos in any Marvel related project. Oh yeah, the, as the librarian? Yeah, the librarian with the with the headphones that does not hear the fight going on behind him. And when like, they say noise canceling, they mean noise canceling. Yeah, I want those headphones. I want that amount of noise canceling in my headphones. Thank you. I love that like tables and stuff are being thrown at him, and Peter's grabbing it with and the you webbing. Don't hear a and single sound, like they have no sound effects in that entire part. Just yeah, it's a how- totally silent scene. I love it. Except for whatever music Stan Lee's listening to. Yeah, I I love the bit where uh, he's he's fighting the lizard and he's got him kind of tied tied up with webbing, and when Stacy comes running up to like hit the lizard with the the trophy, <laughs> and Peter grabs it from her and uses it to break the window, and then he's like kisses her and he goes, "I'm gonna throw you out the window now." And she goes, "What?" And then he like throws her out the window catches her with the webbing lowers her to the ground i like it so eventually peter finds the the lizard's lair and he finds connor's uh video files and uh the plan is that humans are too weak there is no evolving from humans and he's going to change every human in new york into a lizard like him uh using that 
that uh, medicine distributor that we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's just it's a thing that will disperse a gas that contains medicine or something over a large area. It's uh, it's very uh, little eugenics-y. Oh. Yeah, and, and I understand why that would not want to be used in practicality because, again, uh, they even mentioned here someone could put a toxin or a poison and that could spread that toxic and poison over a great distance very quickly. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you could use it for good, but mostly bad. I'm I'm just... I- I'm not saying that a certain military organization wouldn't use that on against their enemies, but you know they were thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> this seems like a very we cribbed this from Hydra's notes kind of invention, you know. Um but, but yeah, that's that's the lizard's plan is to put the lizard formula into this device and convert New York City into lizard people. I'm just going to say this plan is way too complicated. And I'll tell you why. Go ahead. Okay, so this movie came out in 2012, right? Tumblr already existed in 2012. Millennials were already adults in 2012. I just got to say, Oscorp, if you want to just go around splicing humans with various animals to see what happens, just put a t- post on Tumblr that's like, look, do you want to try to be your persona in real life? Show up at Oscorp tomorrow. We're going to inject you with something. You'll either be your persona or you'll die. I guarantee you there is a non-zero number of millennials that'll be like, you mean persona or death? There are no downsides to that. Sign me up. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) There is no... People would be like, do I get to pick the animal? Because... I mean, I'm down, and there are some people that'll just be like, give me the flavor of the day. I don't, I don't care. And they would have, they would have, like, tens of thousands of applicants just show up, like, dude, I got nothing to lose. Like, make me a cat girl, or are you paying for my funeral? That's, that's all I care about, like. So, yeah, and at the end of all of this, Gwen is going to Oscorp because Peter's giving her, hey, uh, can you use the machine to make an antidote? So that's why, so because we, we, we need Gwen to be in danger at Oscorp for the, for the plot to get going. Yeah, it's it's got to, yeah, we got to put Spider-Man's girlfriend in danger because that's what we do in these movies. <sighs> but... Every everybody's gotta get to Oscorp. We we gotta get to the Oscorp building, right? Yep. That's where so things happen. Lizard starts releasing the lizard formula against everyone he sees on the way to Oscorp. Gwen is at Oscorp making the antidote. Spider Man has to get to Oscorp to stop the lizard. 
But the problem is that the cops have put out a APB uh, on Spider-Man. APB on Spider-Man and the lizard. So Spider-Man is being chased by cops and gets cornered. <laughs> yeah, he gets cornered by a bunch of cops. Fortunately, one of those cops happens to be George Stacy. Yep. Takes off the mask and sees that Spider-Man is my daughter's boyfriend. Yay. And the thing is, is that they know now that there is a lizard creature, which Peter had tried to warn him about in an earlier scene. He had come to the police station and had specifically warned him, like, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but there is a lizard creature. And Kirk Connors is involved somehow. Yeah, Kirk Connors and Oscorp are involved. And now... Now Captain Stacy is like, okay, I I realize now that you you weren't kidding. You are in fact tr- trying to save the city. Like I I get this. And he lets but, him go. Yeah. Yeah, and and Peter says like, look, you know he's going to try to release that gas that are turning your men into lizards, but he's going to try to release it over a whole section of the city from Oscorp. And Gwen is at Oscorp right now. And he lets Peter go so that he can head there to try to stop Connors. But not before a cop shoots him. Well, yeah. Um, he tries to stop. He tells everybody to stand down, but one guy doesn't listen. Shoots Peter in the leg, um, slowing him down. We've got a really good scene now where we've got almost everyone evacuating away from Oscorp. So we've got this mass evacuation moving away from Oscorp. We've got a few emergency personnel, you know, cops and and whatnot, moving toward Oscorp, led by Captain Stacy. We've got Spider-Man trying to get there as fast as he can via the the rooftops and and the buildings you know with a shot leg (laughs) in his normal manner yeah but he's been slowed down because one he's exhausted because he's already fought the lizard in trying to slow him down and at the school and he's now been shot by a cop in the leg and it's a great setup for a final battle i'm gonna give this movie excellent credit that we've got all of this action both going away from and toward this this final scene and we get the good payoff of a setup from earlier in the movie the dad with the kid from earlier turns out he's a construction worker he sees Spider-Man on TV limping with his shot leg and he says, hey, we're, we're going to get the boys together. You're all going to get overtime. We got to help Spider-Man. And honestly, I prefer this scene over the rah-rah New York. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us from the, from the first McGuire movie. See, I was wondering how you were going to feel about that because when I was watching this, 
that was my exact thought. I was like, this right here, this is how you do a New York Love Spider-Man scene. Because it's not jingoistic. It doesn't have that feel of like, raw America, you know, like it, it doesn't have that. And I realize, you know, we talked about it. That was That's the time, where yeah. we were at the time. I, I understand it. You know, I lived through it. I, I know that feeling. But this is how we do it. Like I said, it's not jingoistic. It's not overly patriotic. It's not exclusive. It's, it's we're doing this because it's our job, because we care. Because it's, it's one man thanking another man for saving his son. But also, this is what we have to do to help the people on the ground. Yeah. All of these other people are running one direction. We're going to do what we can to help the heroes get in the other direction. And it's also very working class. You know? It's, yeah. It's so, I mean, these are construction workers. They literally built that city. Yeah, everybody involved in this scene is, you know, it's Peter, it's the the poor kid from Queens, it's all the New York construction workers, you know, it's the workaday emergency workers, and they're all going up against the eight foot evil corporation, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like yeah. It's a really cool scene of watching all the cranes kind of line up. So that Peter has that straight shot so that he doesn't have to climb anymore. He doesn't have to do the work. He can just kind of take the webbing and swing. And it's a good thing of like him using the webbing as a bandage to kind of patch his leg and taking that run up and taking that shot and jumping off the building and totally missing. And then you see the crane rising with that eye beam and Peter hanging from it. And you just see that the crane operator is the, the dude with the sun. And he just looks over and he's like, I got you, Spider-Man, you know, like. It's, it's okay. And then Peter kind of looks over and like nods and then like takes the swing and goes to the next crane, you know. Yeah, I said it's a it's a great scene. And uh, watching that, I was getting a little little misty, you know. It's like, like, what's in my eye, you know? Like, who's cutting onions in here? That's a really effective scene. I had kind of forgotten that was in the movie, and uh, like, God, that's a good scene. You know, just after Spider Man makes it to Oscorp, Captain Stacy gets there, and uh, Gwen gets out there trying to explain the situation, and uh. In a very, you know, in, in in his own words, Captain Stacy's letting him know, hey, I know about Peter. Don't worry, I'll take this to him. You get in the car and you get out of here. Yeah, and he grabs the antidote from her and he goes to help Peter. Yeah. Uh, and the final climax is on the roof of of Oscorp as. Peter is still trying to save his friend. He still knows that Kurt is in there. Yeah. And he's trying to convince him, like, you don't have to do this. Um, this is, you know, the formula can 
can work. We can, you know, tweak it a bit more. We can figure out what went wrong. We can, you know. But Lizard, Lizard, I mean, Connors is gone. He's gone full Lizard at this point. It's only the the mission of changing all of the people in New York to Lizard people, you know, at this point. Yeah. Um, and Lizard is about to straight up kill Spider-Man until Captain Stacy blows his hand off with a, with a fucking rifle. It's effective, but of course, you know, Lizard regeneration power. So, uh, doesn't last for long. We get the death of Captain Stacy. Yeah, we we get a we get a pretty intense fight. Um and the problem is, I mean, not the problem, but we we talked about it before that every punch Peter throws is a pulled punch. Yeah. And as uh see, Captain Stacy gets there, he gives the antidote to Peter saying, "Hey, your girlfriend left this for you." Yeah. And he tells Peter, like, climb up there. You know, you're you're the science one. You know, you you gotta do the the climbing and the sciency thing. I'll keep the the lizard dude busy. But uh, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't go so well for Captain Stacy, and he takes a claw right to the gut. At least it wasn't to the groin. Yeah, at least it was a claw to the nards, right? It's like <laughs> they learned from their predecessors' mistakes, at least. Um. Yeah, but, Peter's able to put the antidote in just in time for it to go off. And we get a nice, uh, we get the antidote going over New York City in a little bit of a manufactured rain cloud. And this is a really good, interesting transformation scene where you get the the blue, you know, twinkly sparklies falling out of the sky and landing and you see like the scales disappearing and the the skin coming back and 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 connor's getting his faculties you know the the connor's persona starts to come back yeah because peter falls peter falls and it's connor's that catches him with that regrown limb, which unfortunately decides to degrow uh, as he's yeah, holding Peter with it's, it. It's disintegrating right there as, it, as he's trying to pull him up. Um, but, you know, he's able to save Peter, but uh, Captain Stacy is still dying, and his dying words to Peter are if you continue being spider-man your enemies are going to use your loved ones your loved ones against you and i need you to leave gwen out of it you know break break up with her don't don't see her again he knows he's a cop what what criminal wouldn't go after a cop's family yeah so you know he makes peter promise to Keep Gwen safe by staying away from her. It's a. I mean, Gwen, when Gwen figures it out, she's pissed. Uh, One of the things I like about this movie is that the women that are around Peter Parker are not 
morons. Gwen is very quick to understand what's going on. They even suggest after the big battle, because at the end of the night, after the big battle, Peter comes home to May and he is just covered in bruises and limping and, you know, everything. And of course, the news has been nothing but this huge battle in the center of New York and everything. And he comes home and he, like, hands her a thing of eggs, which has been a running gag. And he just looks at her and says, like, you know, it was a really bad night. And the way she just holds him, you get the sense that she understands who he is and what he has been up to that night. When I first watched it, I was just like, okay, that was their admission that May understands that he is Spider-Man. But in the second movie, they kind of do this whole thing where it's like there's all these jokes about him trying to hide the suit from her and her joking about, I don't want you doing the laundry. Last time you did it, everything was blue and red for some reason. And, you know, and I'm thinking, like, why were they going back? The whole scene in the previous movie was a very obvious admission that she understood. Say what you will, that is one thing that the MCU Spider-Man at least gets that out of the way. Yeah, I was so glad that that they just got that that out of the way. We'll we'll get to that, but yeah. But I like at least that Gwen Stacy is already just roped into. You know, we we left the first movie at least of the Tobey Maguire with. Does Mary Jane understand that he's Spider-Man, you know, with that kiss, you know, in in the graveyard? This one just kind of immediately is like, no, we're not playing that game. She knows he's Spider-Man from the beginning. The final scene, though, that we get is them in, you know, back in school and Flash, who has been getting nicer and nicer to Peter uh, since the death of Uncle Ben, is that yeah, we wearing over that. I, I want to go back to that for a moment because after Uncle Ben's death, Flash comes up to him and you think, he, and he thinks he's going to bully him. He even pulls him up to the to the locker and says, "I'm not in the mood, Flash." And he says, "I know what you're going through. Your uncle died. I get it. It feels like I wish it was explored a little bit more." Because it feels like Flash understands the loss of a loved one. Yeah, like, you almost want there to be another line of, like... I lost my dad, too. You know, I lost my dad, or, you know, my favorite uncle died, or, like, when my cousin died, or something. You know, like, you want there to be another line there. But I also like that at the end of... The, the film, you know, they're there and Peter notices that Flash has a t-shirt with a Spider-Man logo and he's like, oh, Spider-Man shirt? And Flash is like, yeah, uh, chicks like him, you know? <laughs> like, and, and I kind of want to go like, yeah, right, Flash, chicks like it. You got a crush, don't you? <laughs> that is straight up the comics, though, because... Flash in the comics is a straight-up Spider-Man fanboy. Oh, yeah, but I just want somebody to call Flash out on it, you know? We get that final scene in the classroom where Peter's a little bit late to science class or whatever it is, or to English class, and 
his teachers doing the thing about like you know they say there are only 10 stories but there's really only one and i wanted to go like and they're all marvel you know it's like (laughs) there's just the marvel story (laughs) all stories are marvel at this point which i'm fine with i'm still gonna say i'm fine with everything just being marvel she gets on to peter for being late and he's like i'm sorry i'm late it'll never happen again and she goes yeah don't don't make promises you can't keep and he gives that little line to gwen about but those are the most fun ones so yeah so he he's pretty much agreeing with gwen he's like yeah i promised your daddy to stay away from you but eh, let's let's see where this relationship goes yeah it's like um you know let's go dance on your father's grave it's fine which is uh, a, a, a fine ending if they didn't break up again in the act one of part two. Yeah, but for different reasons. Yeah. I do like that it's kind of different reasons, though. I mean, similar reasons, but slightly different. Um, I almost, though, kind of read that teacher's line of like, slightly different because here's the thing peter parker in this version is so bad at hiding he is spider-man can we talk about how bad peter parker is at hiding he is spider-man he just takes that mask off for any reason not even that but like not his fault but he gets the powers and He just wails on a bunch of people on the train, which somebody had to have recorded that, right? Like, there, there, it's 2012 at that point. There has to be like somebody with video of like. That is the one thing I really liked about Shang-Chi. Yeah, that was a good, that's a good thing in Shang-Chi. It's like, but there has to be like video of like skinny skater dude wails on. On, like, eight guys in train, right? <laughs> that had to be a viral moment. Um, And then the next day at school, he just, again, just wails on Flash. Which, again, there had to be video of, like, skinny nerd just totally nails this layup, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody had to be like oh man parker's about to get his ass beat by flash i gotta take a video i I gotta i gotta record this because what like a week before that he'd just gotten his ass beat by flash like somebody's gotta be wanting to record that for posterity right yeah so why is that also not a viral moment of like peter parker's sweet duncan skills you know (laughs) but then you've got just like there's that moment where he's just like hanging out with gwen on the bleachers and somebody throws a football and he just throws it back and ends up permanently damaging the uprights they, you know, he's constantly coming home just beat all to hell and back in front of Aunt May. 
who has to have figured it out. I mean, in the second movie, she's going to nursing school. So, you know, she's she's got to have some kind of medical interest. I don't know. It's it's we get our little mid credit sequence where the lizard talks to the gentleman. Yeah. Uh, about uh, if Peter Parker knows about his parents and maybe you should leave him alone. Ooh. This was again. This was supposed to set up the Sinister Six. So who knows? And, and it and it sets up the the sequel because this character does recur in the sequel. Uh, so it's it's fine. It's it's just a quick little you know, oogity boogity kind of scene. But sequel bait again. They were looking at Marvel doing the same thing, and they wanted a piece of that. Yeah, and in this case, it works. Mm. You know, we we did get our sequel. It wasn't as good as as this film, but you know, it's fine. So, shall we ask the question? Does the amazing Spider-Man have the magic? Kiki. Well, I want you to go first on this one. Because I'm very interested in your thoughts on this one. I, on this rewatch, I actually find myself enjoying the film. Uh, There's a lot of good. There's a few uh, questionable things in the movie. Again, uh, as we mentioned before, Peter being a little too cool for my taste. But... The Spider-Man stuff is amazing, <laughs> but it's it, it works. And, you know, I found myself enjoying this film more than I did the first time I saw it in the theater. It's a good film, honestly. I'm going to say it's a good film. I think it's worth the watch. Uh, amazing 2, not so much. But Amazing 1, definitely. I would, if you haven't seen Amazing 1 yet, I would at least give it a watch. Yep. I'm. I'm going to say, well, I want to I want to know your your comparison versus last week's movie as well. Uh, versus uh, uh, Raimi Spider-Man versus uh, the first one, at least versus the first one. OK, the, the first Raimi Spider-Man movie. Um, I kind of do prefer the Raimi Spider-Man more. I don't know if it's nostalgia talking or it just felt more like. The Spider-Man that I was used to at, at that time, which was the 90s series, it felt more like that, even though, again, Power Ranger looking Green Goblin aside, I like that they were trying something new. I respect that they were trying something new with this new film. I like them both for different reasons, but if I had to pick between uh, Raimi Spider-Man 1 or Amazing Spider-Man 1, I would probably go with the Raimi Spider-Man 1 in terms of if I had to choose between the two. But this, I, 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 I did enjoy watching this movie again, so I would say yes, magic. I'm going to say that definitely magic. I think that this film does have some issues. What issues it has are generally pacing issues. And I think that most of that comes from the fact that they annoyingly did the origin story over again, which I think was a mistake. If they were going to do the origin story again, they needed to shorten it by a lot. Yeah, it takes an hour before to get to the Uncle Ben. 
that should have been like a you know first like 10 minutes kind of deal first 10 minutes kind of deal at most once you've done it once you need to not do it again unless you're changing something really drastic peter save martha uh, yeah no um the the thing to me about this was the second and i mean the split second that he starts kind of getting into some version of the suit and starts actually being spider-man on some level this movie to me is leagues better than any of the Raimi films. It's a little slow starting. I feel like the second half of this movie is definitely better than the first and moves at a better pace. Yeah. Um, the, the one liners are just fire. Oh, just, mm. yeah. Give me, the, give me. The one-liners are definitely better written as one again. Uh, we, get, we have mentioned it, but yeah, Maguire, uh, Garfield is a great Spider-Man. He acts more like Spider-Man than uh, Ray, uh, than uh, Maguire did. I'll admit that. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, so good at inhabiting that role. That is, the second I saw that on screen, I'm like, that's, mm, that's my jam. That that's that that's your Spider-Man. That's my Spider-Man. That's 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 the comic page on a screen right there. That's that's what I've been reading for all these years. You know, that's that's my quippy little web crawler right there. You know, he moves like that, he talks like that. That's that's my guy. So this was definitely a step up on that end i think some of the problems with the film were definitely in the uh, we have to kill uncle ben again we have to reintroduce the character we have to do i mean if you're going to introduce the who were his parents okay fine do that but can we skip over the he got bit by a spider? He got, you know. I would have preferred if they had done all of that in the opening credits. Yeah, do, do, I, do like, that as your like Incredible Hulk Bill Bixby opening credits number, you know? Yeah, you could see, you know, the death of Uncle Ben, the spider by, do that. And then you start the movie with, you know, Peter never really knew his parents and. Then this gets dumped on him that, hey, your parents work for Oscorp. They were involved with something. And then go from there. Oh, my First, goodness. All you need is like, a, you know, three minute info dump from Sally Field about, look, the day your parents showed up and just dumped you on our doorstep. I said I would take care of you. And that's what I've done. Now sit down and eat your eggs. You know, like <laughs> that's I'm not a fan of of that peter's father thing and i get that that's kind of what the whole point of this what was supposed to be a trilogy for i mean there's a deleted scene in two 
where we find out that Richard Parker is alive. And he actually shows up at Gwen's funeral. I'm not making this up. You can actually find this online. And that was supposed to be the lead into Amazing 3, where it was supposed to be Peter and his father finally taking down Oscorp. I mean, I wouldn't have minded a scene where, you know, Peter smacks the old man for leaving him. You know, that, 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 that's alive a this pretty- whole time. The that's, whole time? That's an uppance I could have seen come, you know? Mm. But um, if uh, I would have been interested to see where this would have gone. Uh, and considering that Captain America Civil War would have been right between Amazing 2 and Amazing 3. That would have been... I mean, let me peek into that timeline. I I would not mind visiting that just for a moment. If Marvel had their way, that's what we would have gotten. Because their plan after, since Amazing 2 didn't do so well, was to delay Amazing 3 till 2018. What came out in 2018? The movie we're going to be talking about next week, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. So um, instead of Spider-Man Homecoming, we would have got Amazing Spider-Man 3. Yeah, and I'm just going to say, you know, in kind of wrapping all this up, I was I was really grooving on Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Yeah, I agree. He he deserved more than what he got, and uh, as I said before, the way he got fired was dumb. I mean, all my love to him, it it's you know, he was he was good in the role. Maybe a bit too cool for Peter Parker, but you know, I'm uh, I'm not hating it. Once um, you get to that scene on the bridge, it's probably one of the best and uh, best versions of Spider-Man in any of these films. One of the best. Yeah, I mean, he's got the the empathy of Peter Parker. He's got the appeal. Uh, he's got the kind of you feel the kind of tinkering brain in some of those scenes where he's putting stuff together. Yeah, it's believable in that sense. And you buy him as the, you know, kind of quippy web crawler that, that you know and love. It just, it all, it all works for me. Pacing issues with the script aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and he deserved better than he got, but I'm glad we still got those two films. I did rewatch both of them, and I'll I'll say that for all of its flaws, I thought the second one was slightly better than I remembered it. It's not a great film by any stretch, but I remember it being much worse than I actually found it in a rewatch, so... Maybe go give both of them a chance. If you remember the second one just being absolute garbage... You might actually be surprised. I also rewatched Amazing 2 right before we started recording. I actually finished it. And it's Electro needed the, the, the bad part was I think Electro should have been written better. And uh, the out of nowhere Green Goblin for the final fight. Uh, but other than that, it was fine. 
down there with were, it. There were the bones of a good movie there. I think they just tried to do too much too quickly. That's another case of studio meddling. Yeah. Because Sony wanted their cinematic universe. They wanted to set up the Sinister Six. And in order to set up the Sinister Six, they, you need, they wanted to have the Green Goblin as a member of that. And I'm guessing that Mark Webb or whoever really wanted to have Electro as a villain. I wish that they had made Electro a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah, that, if, that also yeah, works. Well, we'll put it out to, to you, the listener. Do you want us to do Amazing 2 at some point? Just so we can have a big full conversation about it? Because I have no problem with that. Yeah, I, I also would, would be willing to do that because uh, Andrew Garfield's still really good in it. <laughs> and if he is in the new film, if he's in No Way Home, I would like, you know, uh, he definitely deserves a chance to play Spider-Man again and, and get his due. I I will tell you, if he actually ends up being in No Way Home, you you will know because you will hear my like absolute fangirl squee from there is a every running, corner of the world. There is <laughs> what 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 people what a lot of people have said what they want to happen. We've seen in the trailer where MJ falls. They want Andrew to catch her. That would be amazing. <laughs> Pun fully intended on that one. That would be absolutely amazing. Because he couldn't save Gwen, maybe yeah. he can save MJ. Yeah, I mean that would that would be that would be cool. I would I would yeah, let him have that redemption. But again, maybe, we'll find maybe not with the like stupid little CGI web hand that that was kind of dumb. But yeah. <laughs> but I don't uh, know. We'll see soon, hopefully. We'll see soon because again, it's it's it, it'll be out very soon. So uh, I guess that's all we can say about Amazing Spider-Man One. Uh, as we said, we have one more spider to look at before No Way Home comes out. That is our current Spider-Man. Tom Holland, we debated whether we were going to do Captain America Civil War or Spider-Man Homecoming, and we are going to do Spider-Man Homecoming because it is the first full adventure for this new Spider-Man, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna give a see how uh, how Tom Holland, his first full adventure as Spider-Man, holds up, especially yeah, as we as we lead into his. Sixth movie as Spider-Man, if you count Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. Yeah. I mean, he did spend a lot of time as dust in in a couple of those, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He spent a lot of time in the Roombas. (laughs) Part of those. So come back next time for the final of our three Spider-Men, Tom Holland, with Spider-Man Homecoming, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye! Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.